Welcome to Scream Quest, a limited run horror themed offshoot of our regular podcast, Screen Quest. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Waterman, joined as always by May Finch. Hello, hello. Of course, we also have Will Rotondi. Hey, how's it going? And our very special guest of honor, author Isaac Thorne. Hello there. Hey, welcome. Thanks for uh, joining us on the, the podcast. Very, very, very happy to have you. Absolutely. Thank you for, uh, for inviting me on. I'm excited to be here. Now, as the guest of honor, Isaac, I would love to get a little bit of uh, your background, um, specifically around the horror genre. What, what brought you to horror and uh, what is it about horror that you love? Um, well, I've been into uh, horror and horror adjacent uh, media, I guess, since I was very little. My uh, grandmother had some uh some alfred hitchcock records uh and some and gifted me some uh, an album uh from the 70s that uh, it was either early 70s or late 60s that was called great ghost stories which were these classic uh scary stories type uh pieces that were narrated by by uh, popular radio personalities of the time. And I fell in love with the scares. There, there was a version of the golden arm on that record that just scared me to death at the end of it. When you, you get the jump, classically, you'd get a jump scare at the end of, of those audio recordings. And, and um I, I would literally get up and run out of the room away from the, uh, the stereo where we were playing that record. Um, and it terrified me, but I absolutely loved it at the same time. And, and my mom would ask me, why do you keep listening to that? It scares you so much. And I couldn't explain it, but, but there was something, there was something about the, the thought um, that there could be mysterious forces in the world that that could you know help or harm um, you know that those things that when you hear the house creaking and and your parents tell you that it's just the the place settling that might not actually be the case. There's something thrilling about that for me. Um, and from there, I saw the old classic Universal monsters movies on uh, TV. You know. Uh, as a kid and um, and the I didn't really get into reading horror until probably um, what's called middle school now it was called junior high when I was a kid that's how old I am um, but uh, I I didn't get into reading until then and uh, probably picked up my first Stephen King book in high school and and just kind of ran with it from there Excellent. Um, so uh, I promise no judgment here, but uh, who's your favorite universal monster? Do you have a, a favorite of those classics? Uh, for many, many years, I wanted to be Dracula. So I, I thought it was Dracula for a long, long time. Um, these days, I'm probably going to go with uh, Frankenstein's creature. Awesome. I'm, I've always been partial to the creature from the Black Lagoon uh, myself. I don't know something about the format of that movie. I saw it pretty young. Um, I loved the sort of adventure aspect, the exotic locale, and uh, it, you know, like oh, yeah, really, a lot of those. There, there, there's sort of that tragic element with it too that just resonated with me. Yeah, awesome. it is a much better movie than uh, than Dracula and. And uh, even Frankenstein, uh, Brighter Frankenstein is even better than than Frankenstein. But uh, I think it, the tragedy element in the uh, the creature actually kind of draws me into that one as well. Excellent. Yeah, I agree on Bride of the Frank, or Bride of Frankenstein being the uh, the better of the two. Uh, certainly, such an interesting uh, movie in a lot of ways. 
Well, uh, on today's episode, we are going to be talking about a uh, pair of movies uh, again, uh, the first of which is Anything for Jackson. And then a little bit later, we'll be talking about Evil Dead 2. Our topic of the show is uh, horror comedies. Uh, so Anything for Jackson was Isaac's uh, nomination for this episode. Before we dive into discussing the, uh, the film itself, uh, what was it about uh, this movie that uh, made you select it? Um, I remembered it. I've seen it a couple of times and and rewatched it again for for the podcast. But um, I I thought the the unique thing about that movie was was the uh, older uh, grandparent couple. Um, doing evil for a good or what they perceive to be a good reason um and it's that that juxtaposition of of we're we're doing this and and we don't you know we're summoning darkness um for for this very good reason of saving this or resurrecting this young kid's life so he can live this life and and they don't see anything particularly selfish about it on their own part um because I, I think if they did they would you know not to spoil too much but they would have resurrected the mother as well but um i think that's that's one of the things that that drew me to it plus it it's a really for a i believe it's an independent movie it's a, a shutter original movie and it just it just kind of knocked my socks off with the the dialogue and the effects and the the pacing of it and and the unique take on uh possession and um you know using uh using dark magic and things like that i i thought it was a, a unique form of storytelling and even though shutter apparently isn't listing it under horror comedy now um to me it it had some very funny moments in it um, especially in the dialogue between henry and audrey awesome yeah i i definitely um agree wholeheartedly and we're definitely going to get into that here uh shortly um just so you know full full spoilers are on the table um we, we tend to uh, our, our audience knows like, you know, when we're uh, discussing these movies, uh, full spoilers are always on the table. So feel free to spoil away. Um, our audience definitely knows what they're uh, they're getting into. <laughs> but um, uh, next, I want to go to um, to Will and May to get some uh, just general impressions since it is your first time seeing it. And of course, I'll, I'll throw in my two cents as well. Will, I'm going to start with you first. So what did, what did you make of uh, anything for Jackson? Uh, I'd say overall, I liked it. I thought it had some good moments, some good little jump scares that come up uh, at a couple of places throughout. Um, I really love the casting. Uh, kind of, uh, Isaac, what you were saying about the dialogue, I think that who they got to play, Audrey and Henry, were phenomenal. And I think pretty much made the film, just listening to them either discussing their plans or dealing with the consequences. Um, and... I think that, especially for Audrey, who I want to say, sorry, I apologize, I should have her name up here, for Sheila McCarthy, uh, just the way that she delivered some of those lines, those one-liners, I thought was was awesome. Um, and just, I, we may or may not get to it specifically, but the scene with the teeth was really what got to me <laughs> out of everything that happens in the film. <laughs> Uh, so if we do have time to talk about it, I'd love to, but that, uh, when that came up, I thought, oh yeah, here we go. So but yeah, overall, I liked it. I was kind of blown away, honestly. Um, I guess like I had slightly lower expectations just knowing this was kind of a indie, like less talked about film from you know, the last year or two, but uh the that final image just sticks with me of shannon in the car and staring at that creature and i know we'll probably talk about the end later but um the the elderly couple obviously shines and the um just very dry humor is very disarming at first like i definitely thought this was 
uh, going to be a bit more tongue in cheek for the whole movie, just based off of their dynamic. Um, and I, I love that the movie just armed me enough to be completely uh, terrified and uh, grossed out by that ending. <laughs> I agree with everything that's been said uh, so far. I, I think the movie disarms you at many very key points, and I almost always fell for it which is I think one of the the highest compliments I could pay this movie is that it got me and it got me over and over and over again. Um, I, I do think the performances were fantastic. I was really impressed with some of the effect work on this. Like uh, if you had told me this was released by, I don't know, um, an A24, uh, which I know is like the kind of the next step between like a major studio and like independent or even like a major studio, I would have believed you based off of just the effects uh, alone. Um, so I, yeah, I gotta say, this is one that I'll, I'll be recommending, um, to, uh, fans of horror that I know. Um, cause I, I think it's just, it's, a, it's a brilliant film in a lot of ways and it does a lot of interesting things. Um, originality certainly like through and through, um, I think choosing, uh, to have grandparents versus parents made this, um, just automatically something that was a little bit different. Um, I, you know, I think just because of the age of the, uh, of the characters and um, they have a lot of history together. So uh, I think that kind of all comes through. But, um, great. Well, let's dive into, since we are talking about horror comedies, uh, I wanted to talk about, uh, so I, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, I I was shocked at how scary this was. Like uh, I, I think like my expectations going in uh, weren't as calibrated with how scary it was going to be. And I think that's what made some of the moments that were funny that much more uh, impactful and surprising. But um, let's let's talk about, I guess, like some go around the the table and some of our favorite, uh, I guess, uh, funny moments or where, where you got some good chuckles. So, uh, again, Isaac, uh, being the guest of honor, I'm going to start with you this time. Do you have a particularly uh, favorite, like funny part or line of dialogue? I have a couple, actually. My my favorite line of dialogue is when. Uh, Audrey takes Henry out into the park and resurrects the bird, the dead bird there in uh, in front of him. And he gets this shocked look on his face, you know, that this this uh, spell she cast or or right she performed from from this uh, from this book actually worked. And he looks at her and he says, you can't just go around bringing things back to life and she says well i've been doing it all day <laughs> so <laughs> i i, I that thought one that got was me funny too. <laughs> yeah and uh and there are little moments throughout there like from the very beginning i mean the the movie opens with him getting ready to it looks like he's getting ready to go to work you know, and she's straightening his tie and and they're just doing the the normal uh, couple uh, morning and, you know, they go out the door and then the very next instant they're dragging the screaming pregnant woman back in the house. So the scary moments and tense moments have some comedy to them as well, just because of, of what you were saying, uh, Chris, is there there uh the unexpectedness of it is is what kind of makes you laugh even if um if it's not an outright gag you know I just remember one exchange between audrey and um and becker or i guess shannon uh where they had just chained her up and shannon is like understandably like hysterical about what's going on and says something to the effect of like oh god and aubrey just looks at her very casually and says oh no we don't say his name here <laughs> you know or, <laughs> or oh jesus or something and that was sort of like her immediate response is like no no we don't we don't use that name here and uh that just just like the absolute casualness of of how they had planned all this out just really i i thought was very uh very humorous despite the circumstances yeah we, we don't use that name in this house like mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it's almost like when you know you were younger and you go over to a friend's house to play and you weren't sure what the boundaries were for <laughs> you know like some some friends you could say butthead at their house and that might be a big <laughs> no-no like you know even something like that was a transgression <laughs> depending on whose house you're at so um yeah no i love that 
Um, so the yeah, the top comedy for me was definitely the moments between Audrey and Henry, and uh, like well pointed out, uh, Audrey scolding Shannon for like cursing around the baby <laughs> when they're <laughs> reciting demonic rites around the baby. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I think. I think two other ones for me were one, just the the comedic timing of a lot of the um, moments that move the plot forward, like like Henry trying to put the pieces of Rory's body like buried in the snow, at, <laughs> right when the policewoman calls him, and he's like trying to like talk in a composed manner, but he's just absolutely horrified <laughs> with himself. Um, I also appreciate it's 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 subtle, but. Uh, the the nurse that does scheduling in his office always seems very exasperated with him and like the way she gets very upset when he tries to kind of flippantly be like oh she rescheduled just communicates to me that he's always like this <laughs> so that was funny i think probably for me the two moments that really stood out was um when the when the cop uh the homicide detective commits suicide there's just this look of exasperation on his face for like, oh my God, like, like now another thing to to deal with. I haven't even cleaned up the guts like out in the front yard. Like you, you could have layered the <laughs> curb your enthusiasm theme over that. Like, <laughs> like it was just very, I don't know. I like, it's something about the expression was just brilliant because like, he's not even horrified. He's just exhausted at like the prospect of the consequences of this. Um, which I think tells you a lot about his uh, state of, of mind and how little time he's had to process all the things that have happened very quickly to him. Uh, the other little touch is also kind of around the, uh, the matronly uh, demeanor of Audrey, where she puts like the hand knitted, like um, I guess you would call it padding around the handcuffs because it feels like the most grandma thing in the world but it's very sinister like it's so sinister but also like it's very i don't know like sweet in an odd way i don't know um, how to explain it but that really made me chuckle because it looks ridiculous <laughs> uh let's pivot a little bit and talk about uh and i think here's your chance will uh in a moment um kind of going to so horror comedies i think are one of my favorite mashups because uh you get to laugh um and enjoy some of the absurdity and then you also have um all of the aspects of you know potentially being terrified or grossed out that come with a horror film so let's talk about the other side of it which is the horror side uh are there any moments that really got to you or got you whether it's jump scares or like just made you ex exceedingly uncomfortable i'd love to hear that so the trick-or-treater got me um and i i mean the um the the teeth got me as well but the trick-or-treater got me more because it was just relentless and uh you know whatever whatever door um uh audrey closed against it it was at the next door and then when it's in the house all of a sudden it's this giant and impossible to get away from um you know so no matter where she went in in the house she couldn't escape it uh and and couldn't even get out of the house because it, it was blocking every exit so i thought that was pretty terrifying yeah absolutely especially when you learn that like the significance of the costume and what that mm -hmm. signifies and in, in their past, I think. And uh, I think we established uh, a couple of episodes ago, I've decided big tall stuff like really freaks me out. And this is a phobia I didn't know I had <laughs> until I've seen some recent <laughs> horror films that I won't spoil for, for maybe people who haven't seen them, but I'm just like, no, I, something about that really gets to me. Uh, so Will, um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about that teeth scene, or you can pick yeah. a different one if you'd like, but <laughs> let's talk about teeth, Chris. It's cool. Uh, <laughs> no, I have, uh, so and this is the, I think part of the reason why this scene really got to me as much as it did is, um, I don't know what the term is for it, but when you watch certain things or hear certain sounds and it affects you in a certain way. Anytime I've ever watched somebody brush their teeth in either a TV show or a film, there's something about that that just makes my mouth itch. And I can't tell you what it is. It just weirds me out. And so that automatically listening to somebody continuously, in this case, flossing, 
although I didn't realize that at first until the you know the little twist reveal um is that was already kind of getting to me but then when you see like um what you think is Aubrey or Audrey I'm sorry standing at the vanity and suddenly you see like a tooth fall to her foot and I thought oh this is gonna be good <laughs> like I'm already kind of it was already weirding me out before man psychologically but now it's like okay so what's it gonna be how bad is it gonna be when she turns around so that to me was the build-up to that I think was more disconcerting than the actual surprise at the end um just from kind of being a little desensitized myself to seeing a lot of like practical effects for for uh body horror or any sort of uh physical damage um but I think the lead up to it was great and again maybe because of just the fact that I'm built a little bit different for certain sound effects or if it was just like though the way they set it up or both it was that was what really did it for me yeah, it's given me a, a new phobia that I didn't know that I had uh, for flossing. I already am bad about flossing, and now I'm just like, oh, I can only imagine the next time I go to floss. Like, yeah, that's just what I need popping into my head. <laughs> it's keep popping that's out. That's your new excuse, Chris. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Uh, go to the dentist and they yell at me. Uh, Listen, have you seen anything for Jackson? Like, I, I, I feel like I am should be let off the hook here. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Starting with... um when detective bellows like just her ghost on repeat just walks up shoots herself drags herself away walks up shoots herself drags herself away on repeat is when it's really started kind of like settling in for me but i think the worst moment was just um you're kind of you're promised from the very beginning of the film when shannon's kidnapped in the first few minutes that uh there's really no hope for her she's not going to escape they've thought of everything um and it's at the moment when Henry has given up and tells her to run that you're finally given a bit of hope, like, oh, she might actually make it out of here. And her then walking through the house and having all these ghosts chase her was actually terrifying suddenly because that hope was at risk of being snatched away from me. Um, so that was kind of like my most uh, uh, heart-wrenching moment, I suppose. And then... Um, like like I said earlier, I'm still stuck with that very last image of the thing in the road. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I do want to talk about the uh, the ending, you know, to to kind of wrap it up because I, I think it's it's a very interesting um, ending. But uh, yeah, it is it was bone chilling for sure. Um, it's funny that you mentioned the detective that is uh, killing herself in a loop because um, I, I agree, it, it's definitely like horrifying also gave me one of my biggest laughs when she like walks to the like threshold of the door and then like it's just like eh, <laughs> and walks away i know <laughs> just thinks better of it i guess because of the salt <laughs> it was just i don't know why like, i also maybe laugh. <laughs> sorry go ahead i, I also like the bit that's all right i also like the bit where uh uh ian arrives and uh, the detective walks in on on repeat and uh and the response is she's been doing that all night yeah <laughs> <They're> <laughs> very <used to> quickly <laughs> that's desensitized to it yeah okay so i you know for for me as far as like uh terrifying parts it has to be the contortionist like twitchy spider-man i don't really know like what to to call that uh entity but um, the way that uh, it moved and the sounds and the, the plastic bag over the head, something about that just gave me the willies. And I could be mixing this up, but isn't that the one that takes a, a bite out of the pregnant belly as well? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was just the icing on the, the cake. Oh boy. Um, yeah, I did that thing. I did not, did not like, um, but uh, it was effective. <laughs> so I do kind of want to talk about uh, the climax of this because I think as May pointed out, it is super interesting and bone chilling, um, particularly like how it's to be, I guess, interpreted. And um, I don't know, just like what you made of it overall. So uh, Isaac, uh, how do you interpret the end of this? Um, I've never been absolutely certain what the intention was there. In, in some ways, it feels like um, you know, they had to to end it with something thrilling. And and the best way to do that was to uh, allow her to think she had uh, escaped, but not really. 
um so the impression i get from it is is the whatever has been unleashed is with her now um and can follow her um so that's what i took from it yeah uh, that's um terrifying and uh totally valid you know I, I i don't really have much more to add to it than that that was sort of the same way that i read it and i feel like uh kind of in the typical horror style where you think that things may be resolved and then there's always just that question mark of well maybe but things are never really going to be the way they were before even if they're kind of okay at least temporarily and so whether that's just because now she can see you know these entities that are in the world if more came through or if there's still more you know trouble to come you know it just kind of leaves it leaves it uh hanging there for potentially more or just as sort of the ending uh, uh i guess feeling for that film but yeah not really much more to add to it than that than what isaac had yeah i just think it's so interesting that the um there's this look of relief that crosses her face after seeing this figure so to me, like it's, um, I, I don't think we'll ever know for sure exactly what the figure means, but I think her interpretation is interesting because I think she sees it as, okay, the demonic entity is there, so it's not in my child. But there's th th that was a wide open gate for quite a while. <laughs> I think there's a strong possibility that her, her kid is still haunted just by something else. Um, and for me, that's kind of the final scare and horrifying possibility. Yeah, she glances down at her belly and well, I had a couple of questions. Um, I, I couldn't tell, like, because it's a fairly quick shot. Is it implied that maybe the baby is gone? Like, does her belly look smaller? Like, I couldn't decide that. I should have rewound it, but I was like, uh, I'm I'm going to leave this open ended specifically for the discussion of the podcast. So what do you think of that really quickly? And then I'll, I'll give my thoughts. But I've I've that's another thing I've never been sure about, but I I see uh, I actually got the same impression you did that that it uh, it seems like that some of the relief she felt wasn't just the the escape, but that you know the the baby was not there anymore. Yeah, and I think that's like all the more. I mean, so that was my interpretation as well. But I was like, ah, oh, now I'm second guessing myself. You're in everybody else's, but like I think that makes it all the more horrifying because it's. Uh, there's the relief that the baby's gone, but the demon problem kind of remains. Uh, yeah, obviously it's uh, appearing to her and it could, you could interpret it, I suppose, as like, she looks down, the baby's gone. She looks up, sees the demon and it's sort of the demon's way of telling you like, I've got, we got your, your child. Um, sort of, I don't know, gloating in a way, um, signing off on the deed as it were, which I find, really chilling and i suppose if you're going to go with that interpretation you could take it a step further and when she sees jackson in the window perhaps that is the abomination you know made corporeal <laughs> um you know she maybe she doesn't realize she's lost the baby at that point and what she's seeing is actually the result of of what this was all for um which again pretty uh pretty gnarly stuff uh, kid's got a hell of a mess to clean up um, if he's the the one that's going to inherit that house i'll tell you that <laughs> oh no <laughs> <laughs> well good stuff uh anybody want to add anything um for final thoughts before uh we we take a little pause and uh draw a uh a side quest for uh for our guest uh just that i would add this to my top horror films list now thank you very wow. much for the suggestion isaac absolutely that's pretty that's pretty high praise um i'm sorry if i uh spooked you at like 11 30 last night <laughs> i wanted to wanted to see we have a little group chat going i wanted to see who had seen it and uh i was like oh boy um uh this is uh more intense just fair warning than, than what i was expect <laughs> expecting and we were going back and forth and uh kind of we try not to discuss too much like ahead of the podcast but I needed somebody to confirm that they had seen it and see if uh, if I was overreacting. But um, I, yeah, I also just, I loved it. Um, I'll agree, mate. It's uh, top stuff. All right. Well, uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to draw a card uh, for Isaac. Uh, and uh, if we have time, we'll go around the table. Some of these topics are a little bit um, more succinct, uh, probably in answers than the others. So here we go. 
Ooh, this is an interesting one. Uh, so the card we drew is hard pass and the prompt is as follows. Talk about a horror film that you'll never bring yourself to watch under any circumstances. And of course, Isaac, as the guest of honor, if that if you don't have those boundaries, that's fine to say so. But if you have an answer, I'd be really <laughs> curious to, to hear it. <laughs> there I do. I have a couple of boundaries, actually. Um, I will not watch Cannibal Holocaust. And it is not because um, of the cannibalism. It is not because of, you know, the fake uh gore and and things like that it is because of the real life animal cruelty that occurred and i i mean i can watch a horror movie where an animal dies or or gets hurt as long as i know that it wasn't real i i love cujo i love that movie it's one of my uh top favorites stephen king adaptations and and that dog goes through hell um, but as long as I know that it, it's, it's done with movie magic, I'm okay with it. Cannibal Hol Holocaust. I, I don't think I could stomach. My answer is the same exact one. So I'm going to piggyback off of that. Wow. That's probably the <laughs> only one. And, uh, just reading sort of like the description, like in the Wikipedia page or like some of the other, like, you know, uh, entries in like IMDB for like warnings. I was like, nah, um, which is interesting because i can do apocalypse now which has the real life slaughter of a um i forget what type of animal it is but i think where i can do some mental gymnastics is that like i know that's like a traditional thing for the tribe and they like ate the animal and used all the parts so it's mm -hmm. tough but like it's not this it's not like just for i don't know the shock value um alone right like there was right. a, an actual purpose behind it um, wasn't another was just done for the movie it was just something that they captured while they were filming uh 100 on the same page with you there isaac uh so i got tapped out of saw maybe about six films in and i feel like I, i'll just never watch another one after that i think i got tired of the of them trying to like create some sort of reason for there still to be all these you know traps and and you know uh the setup that somehow was masterminded by someone who died like four episodes back or four or five films back at that point but um i think for me it was just always trying to up the gratuitous violence and over the top just gore factor that really just i think it i just i got so saturated by it i was i was just uh I, I I hit tilt and I didn't really feel compelled to go back to watch more of it. So that's pretty much where I'm at with the franchise. I really enjoyed it when it was like you saw less and it was more just disturbing and, and sort of that initial uh, film, even maybe the first couple. And I tried to try to hang tight for the the few that came after to see how they might try and and do like a cool twist. But I think just the body horror really got to me. You made it three films uh, farther than me. I stopped at three and, and not because I was particularly bothered by it. I just, I found it like just wasn't interesting anymore. I think like anything about those films that were intriguing, like just to me, like quickly just evaporate, like no, that's just personal taste. But um, I just, uh, where I thought like the first one was very smart and, you know, just like an all time great. Um, mm -hmm. There was a diminishing returns happening for me personally in terms of like i don't know like the substance that i wanted i suppose but i like that mm -hmm. i'm fairly sure i've talked about this on the pod before so apologies if this is an old story but no problem. there there is a single movie i've ever walked out of and it is the new it and i i generally have like a lower limit for like very graphic body mutilation but just when it's when it's with kids, man, like even if like mentally I know that's all special effects and stuff, it's just I can't stomach it. So I I will never finish the new it, unfortunately, as, as much as we love Stephen King here. And what I found interesting, since Isaac didn't hear this story and maybe some of our, our new listeners uh, may not have heard it was I so I, I thought for sure it was the opening um, and it's not it's it's the 
kids that are carving into the belly later, a little later on in the film, correct? That's the scene that... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think was... it also is a cumulative thing. Like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> if it just been that opening scene with the arm, it had its shock value and I could have moved on. But yeah, that the, I mean, the stomach scene was also a lot longer and just, yeah. Um, I, unfortunately, um, even though it's a great film, it's hard for me to recommend without a huge disclaimer, um, another Stephen King adaptation, which is Dr. Sleep, because there is, it's not gratuitous per se, but there's a very long drawn out scene where a child is being tortured for like the pleasure of these like psychic vampires. And it is very, very, very Uh. hard to watch. Very hard to watch. So um, steer clear of that one, (laughs) I will say. (laughs) Well, great. Thanks for, uh, for sharing everybody. Now, uh, let's transition to Evil Dead to Dead by Dawn, which is just one of my all-time favorite horror comedies. Um, and uh, I suppose we can go around the room and, again, just sort of initial impressions. If you have a history with the movie, if you've seen it before, you can talk a little bit about that. So, Isaac, um, I know off mic you were saying you hadn't seen this in a while, but you had seen it before. Uh, what do you make of it? I, uh, yeah, it's been years. I actually have uh, Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, An Army of Darkness all on DVD, and it's probably been uh, at least a decade before uh, since I sat down and, and uh, watched Evil Dead 2. So uh, so I popped that in last night and, and was watching it, and I thought, you know, this is very much a, a movie comic book three stooges thing Uh, (laughs) you know it's a horror comic uh and a superhero movie even and uh and a three stooges movie all all rolled up into one it's it's very over the top um intentionally so and uh that's what i love about it i i only had one complaint with with the movie and that was the um the retcon in the uh the very beginning um i never understood why they did that i'm sure there's a reason for it but uh but yeah i i I still love that movie after all these years and and it's a good one to sit down and um and just turn your brain off and enjoy you know (laughs) yeah absolutely uh with the retcon my the only explanation i've been able to kind of work up my brain is maybe they were concerned because this one had quite a bit more of a budget and distribution and things like that maybe they were concerned people hadn't seen evil dead one so felt obligated maybe to do a little catch up or something so that uh, people would be more inclined to, yeah. to see it or, or roll with it I, i'm not sure but um, i do agree with that because evil dead one is uh great for a completely different set of reasons uh will have you seen this before or uh, was this your first time and what did you make of it so that's actually, I'm glad that you you asked that question because I haven't seen it before. This was my first time. I'd seen probably bits and pieces of Army of Darkness just when I would channel surf way back when I was a kid. So I've never actually seen any films in this trilogy. Um, so for me, my question actually is back to you, which is what was the retcon from the first one to this one? So essentially they like the first 10 minutes where you've got i think linda is the um girlfriend's name that Mm -hmm. whole bit is like a very truncated scaled down version of what happens in the original evil dead so it's almost like they're rewriting history a bit to catch you up to like and maybe give a reason for why the necromonicon is being used you know versus like he's got to have a reason to come back to the cabin and blah 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 so that's uh accurate um isaac do you, you think that's pretty much the gist of it yeah <laughs> yeah that's i i think that's accurate there were also it was more than just uh ash and and linda at the cabin in uh in the first uh, uh movie and the first movie was nowhere near as um uh much a comedy there there were some comic elements to it but it was it it laid on the horror pretty thick yeah it's almost like incidental and i think like i've all i don't know my uh you know um internal canon's always been 
that he realized he had gold, you know, maybe like going back and seeing some <laughs> of the stuff that were was and just decided to lean into it. I have no idea if that's that's the case, but I'm glad that he did regardless. So um May, how uh, I'm sorry, Will. Uh, so to get back to you, because we we had uh, kind of cross wires there. So, what did you think of it? <laughs> this being your first time, before I skip right over. <laughs> well, it's pretty much what I expected, which was that it was really campy, really cheesy, over the top, intentionally over the top, and Bruce Campbell just absolutely hams it up, and I loved it. I loved that part of it because I that was what I expected to see out of it. Um, and I've known. I feel like the first thing I ever saw Bruce Campbell in was probably like the adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Yes. back in the day. So I knew that he was always like into the campy sorts of, you know, never really taking things 100% serious, which I liked. And then just seeing him pop up every now and again for cameos and Sam Raimi stuff, whether it was Spider-Man or, you know, um, any any other little like nods here and there. So I liked it for that. I liked going back and being able to see having seen other Sam Raimi films, being able to kind of see where he started out. And I guess to some extent, this is what we talked about when we we talked about um, Slither with James Gunn, where you, you sort of see where a director started out doing certain things or trying certain uh, camera tricks and how that evolved and later influenced the work that they would do later. Um, so, you know, so whether it's like the the up close, like the really up close shots on people's faces, lots of eyes, um, a lot of eye imagery, or just some of the like the practical effects that are used for like the, the horror aspect or some of the creatures that uh, that pop up. I really enjoyed that. So, yeah, overall, I enjoyed watching the film. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. I I think I would have appreciated it more in like the context of other 80s horror movies, but knowing what I do know, it was still quite enjoyable. Um, it, it dragged on at certain points for me, um, but I found, found myself laughing at like the smaller visual gags more than anything else. And um, I did appreciate just how committed it was to, uh, you know, using every single applicable horror trope in an hour and a half <laughs> um and and the dialogue too like there there wasn't a single line that I didn't groan at which is impressive in a parody <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it I mean it's well, it's one of those movies I think that like um it may not be everybody's cup of tea like you know to some extent but i feel like it does have pretty good mass appeal because like so much of the comedy is like physical comedy in fact i would put bruce campbell up there especially in this movie like with some of like the greatest of the greats charlie chaplin buster, buster keaton the stuff that he does is unbelievable in some of the scenes um just in terms of like how brilliant the physical comedy is and i think that's probably the aspect of the movie that i enjoy um the most is is the physical comedy um and just um seeing bruce campbell and evil dead the original and then to this and and really just like I, I don't know if that was just all natural talent or if he had like a choreographer or a coach or like stunt i don't know like if it would be a stunt coordinator maybe for something like that um but if he managed to do most of that just based off of Ramy's direction and and knock it out of the park that much like kudos to him because it's brilliant stuff um, and of course, we'll talk about it, uh, I'm sure, uh, to close it out. But the end, I think, is like one of the greatest setups for a sequel ever, too. But uh, we'll, we'll get there. Um, so uh, same format. We'll keep the same format. So uh, I guess starting with like the funny stuff, is there a particular standout uh, scene? Uh, so I'm going to pitch it back to you, uh, Isaac. My favorite funny moment is the possessed hand. Um that that is the most uh slapstick part of of the movie in in my opinion and watching bruce campbell fight with his own hand that's that's trying to kill him just i, I honestly i've i could have watched half an hour of that I, I i thought that was absolutely hysterical yeah i i agree um the hand is it's like a way more of a pain in the ass version of um what is it thing from uh, Adam's family? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Man, you have to go with the hand. It's great. I mean, just the fact like when uh, Ash gets knocked unconscious for like a hot minute and the hand just like looks around, well, apparently can look around or sense that there is the cleaver that's like, you know, so many feet away and just pulls the whole, his whole body to get closer to it. And the little like sort of gremlin sound effects that it has when it's like, you know, uh, just chatting to itself while it's struggling. I thought, oh, this, this is great. I cracked up or like when the hand is actually severed and then uh, Ash has the shotgun and he's trying to aim it, you know, because he's got one, understandably so, you know, you're trying to aim with your other hand, probably not your your good hand after you've lost the one that you uh, that would be. And it's just kind of like tapping its fingers on the ground, the hand as it's waiting, you know, like, come on, you know, you know, are we, are we doing this? <laughs> you know. <laughs> So that, yeah, I, I have to, I have to copy you, Isaac. I love the hand. It's great. Uh, I mean, I do think that the hand wins hands down, but uh... hands down. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> uh, I, I did want to point out, I tweeted about this too, but it's just the, he, uh, after dismembering his girlfriend, the zombie girlfriend, I should say, uh, with a chainsaw in the shed, he leaves. And just like uh, as if he just like was about to be forgetful and thinks, oh, whoops, he just kind of like gently reaches over and locks the shed. <laughs> I don't know why, but that just killed me. <laughs> just committed this horrible violence and then says, oh, nope, I, I should be, be, be tidy and close the door and lock it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely the genius of uh, Bruce Campbell at work there. Like he can be so earnest and then so silly from scene to scene and he plays that pretty straight which is great uh for me ever since i've saw this for the first time it's the fucking moose on the wall that's like, <laughs> like <laughs> laughing at him <laughs> and like all the stuff that's laughing and then bruce campbell's laughing maniacally I, I don't know why that always tickles me but i think it's just uh it's such a stupid um brilliant like effect because uh it's pretty decent um animatronic or puppeteer work whatever that is um and it's just uh it, it's so unexpected the first time that you see it that uh it always gives me a big old belly laugh um i would say kind of second place for me is the just complete uh abandonment of anything logical with like the, the sort of like reveal of ash and his like final form with the chainsaw like on his arm and the shotgun he's twirling it around i think i mean if you if you don't have a just a, a nice like surprise um you know delighted little uh chuckle at that um just how silly it is and over the top uh i don't know what to do with you but um great um this one i feel like is decidedly less scary uh comparing the two films that we're talking about this episode are there any aspects of it though i'll go around the room again that you did find uh like i don't know gross or like scary or um uncomfortable there are a couple of uh of bits that used to scare me when when i was when i saw this for the first time i was probably a teenager um and saw it on cable but um so there are a couple of 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 things that terrified me then that don't terrify me as much now that I would probably find funnier now. Uh, one of them is the headless dancing uh, deadite girlfriend scene, uh, which watching it now is hysterical to me. But watching it back then, just the way the um, the kind of uh, uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Large Marge way the stop motion works in that is incredibly creepy to me. And uh, Linda's head in the vice, um, I thought was was still scary, um, even though you can see the transition from effects head to to uh, to live actor. Um, now i i thought that was a particularly scary moment yeah i love the stop motion work um that's an excellent choice really really good stuff uh i'd say mine would just be a short and sweet answer which is just the idea of anyone chasing you with a chainsaw is just that to me is is terrifying just the idea of a chainsaw cutting into you like taking it beyond the camp factor of this film and like really thinking about it that that disturbs me 
but uh yeah that's that's got to be my pick it's the sound right like that's that's mm-hmm. the thing like you know when michael myers is stalking you with the kitchen knife it's not making you know like this horrifying roar behind you um i think it's good that's a great choice for me it's like a um knowing this movie was going to commit to its tropes um I wasn't really like all that scared or surprised once it was clear like okay who's the final girl and who's the final guy going to be all right cool um but in the in the middle when um Annie and her her boyfriend and the other couple like all enter and have their initial kind of skirmish with Ash and then the zombie comes up from the cellar and there's like that really chaotic moment where they're fighting the zombies and also still wary of Ash I think that's the only moment that I actually like got kind of anxious because I had no idea where it was going to go. Um, and that was quickly followed just by like the the grossness of Ash just taking a, an axe to the people who'd gotten bitten. Great. Yeah, that's uh, that's a that's a pretty like genuinely tense scene where he's trying to get up through the cellar uh, door in a way that I think a lot of the scenes uh, aren't really in this movie. Like there's some genuine suspense there, the, you know, fiddling with the lock and all that. I think that's a, that's a great uh, sequence in general. Yeah. Also I would, uh, I, I would argue with you slightly. Well, I do think like Axe is slightly scarier than Chainsaw just because it's, it's, it's more visceral. It's not like a one and done thing. You got to keep hacking. That's <laughs> you got to want it with the axe. <laughs> nice. Nice. That's all I'll say. Uh, yeah, for me, it's the uh, it's the eyeball um, going ah. into the mouth, popping out of the head. It's simultaneously funny, but it's also like the grossest version of oops, I just swallowed a fly. Um <laughs> And it is so same Rami, like, and, you know, just there's a, a similar gag in Drag Me to Hell, which is if you want to see kind of like what Rami in the 2000s, like, you know, kind of going back to his horror roots a little bit, that's a great companion piece to this. And then it has very, um, you know, similar, like gross and uh, funny bits, but there's a very similar gag involving some dentures. And that's all I'll say. Um, <laughs> I'll leave it there. Uh, so you can discover that on your own, but uh, yeah, the eyeball in the mouth thing is uh, is funny, but it's also just disgusting. Because I just imagine it going right down. I don't know why. That's not logical, but yeah. Uh, let's uh, kind of close out the Evil Dead two discussion by talking about the uh, the setup. Were you surprised by the transition? Uh, and I, Isaac, I know like me, you'd seen this before, but like you know, if you can think back to your first time, like to to like the medieval um cliffhanger um and and what what did you guys uh, make of that yeah i i didn't expect there to ever be a a third part uh the first time i saw that i because army of darkness was not a thing yet when i first saw evil dead 2 i just uh kind of assumed that that they wanted you to uh to, they wanted the audience to feel like okay there's there's the potential for more to this story or or there could be other stories but you know we're not necessarily going to uh to give you a payoff on that um that said the 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 traveling you know into the past thing um i think had more promise than the uh then army of darkness uh uh not sure what the word i'm looking for here is then then army of darkness was able to accomplish yeah. um I, i've never been a big fan of of uh of the third film but uh yeah i mean i i like the ending now um i i wasn't so sure about it the first time i saw it yeah it certainly comes out of left field and um i'm kind of with you like I think Army of Darkness has some charm and there's some really standout scenes in it, but it's the one I've watched the least out of the three of these. Like one I've seen, uh, you know, quite a few times. This one I've seen a billion times. It's like perfect movie to throw on when you're carving jack-o'-lanterns or something. But uh, yeah, I tend to agree with that. Well, I guess going into it. So when we talked about this film a week before and I thought I'd seen bits and pieces from it 
and it was actually Army of Darkness that I had seen bits and pieces of. Part of me was always waiting for that those scenes to happen in this film because oh. <laughs> I went into this cold like not with like not reading anything beforehand, not trying to prep myself. I'm like, I just want to go in and you know watch this without any expectation besides what I'd had from you know when I was a kid. And so that to be a, about halfway through, I thought, okay, well, that's not going to happen in this one. So obviously that's going to happen in the next one. And that's where I sort of thought, okay, well, you know, maybe they'll, I wasn't sure if they were going to like tie into that, but when it did happen, I thought, oh, okay, I see exactly where we're going to, we're going to end this. And then the next thought I had was this feels almost like the end of back to the future part two, like setting up your, your final, you know, your final film. So, um, on the one hand, I thought it was, it seemed like it was kind of an interesting way to to wrap it up, to, you know, get everybody pumped for another one. Um, it's it's too bad to hear that maybe that third part wasn't really, didn't really stick the landing as well as they thought it might. But, uh, but yeah, I liked, I liked how it ended off because it's sort of, I imagine at that time was not something you would have expected, that it would have just been kind of like, okay, he's going to go through the portal and then what's going to happen after that and then when it ends on that note you're like oh okay wow interesting you know um there's a couple other films that i feel like have probably taken that ending to to repurpose that because uh i feel like that's shown up in a couple other more recent films like i feel like when they redid planet of the apes i got that same kind of vibe uh chronicles of riddick at the end of that i got kind of the same vibe so i i like the idea of throwing a protagonist sort of into the middle of something that seems kind of out of left field and then you where you want to take it after that um but again like you know kind of like what uh we've talked about already you, you put up a lot of expectation with that that you're really gonna that you hope the payoff's gonna be great so uh, but yeah yeah, it's a. I don't want to discourage you. I think it's a journey taking worth taking like once to see mm -hmm. Army of Darkness and kind of make up your your own mind. Um, I if I remember correctly, they had some some challenges with like that was in development hell for a long time, and I think even the making of that was not a particularly um, fond experience uh, in memory for Sam Raimi. If I remember correctly, I might I might be making all that up, but I seem to remember reading that. It had a bit of a troubled like pre-production and production so that would kind of make sense if the end product wasn't quite you know there um sometimes it'll come out you know sometimes it makes a even better movie again to not to bring up apocalypse now twice but that had a similarly <laughs> troubled production and it's like one of the greatest movies ever so um you never know uh yeah no i thought it was perfect very fitting um i think that it didn't beg for a sequel necessarily because to me it was simply a callback to very early in the film when he's first meeting the archaeologist lady and she shows him like a, an ancient painting of the hero that fought this uh evil energy and it's very clearly someone dressed in modern day clothes i was like okay that's that that's going to come back i'm not sure how but that's going to come back and then it did at the end so it was very fitting to me um, and I think just uh, it also fit the theme of uh, Ash really not catching a break and also about this whole film kind of making fun of horror movies and teaching you not to care too much about any one of these people. It's like even even your protagonist like doesn't make it out to rejoin his normal world. He's stuck back in, you know, the medieval times now. <laughs> Sorry, Ash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have the best of luck. Um, that continues in Army of Darkness. And then, of course, there was the show that I, I'll admit I've only seen a couple of episodes, but enjoyed what I saw, uh, Ash versus the Evil Dead. It seems like he is doomed uh, to eternally fight deadites and, and deal with the, the mess that comes with that. So His name is Ash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll just add, I mean, I think almost everybody said it. I think it's in context, it's, uh, it's a pretty interesting, uh, non-conventional ending. And I think it really, um, kind of, you know, brings it home. It's, it's cool. Like I like that they laid the groundwork for it with the, the page and the art and the, the ancient book. And, uh, it's, a it's a great way to either have, um, a cliffhanger ending or, just a really memorable like even if that's where they had left him cool i think like you know that there's enough 
tied up loose ends that it's uh, it's kind of interesting place to leave them if that's what they had chosen to do. So yeah, I like it. Well, as we wind down the podcast, I did want to take some time to speak to Isaac. Uh, you have a new novel out, Hell Spring, right? That's right. That's right. It uh, 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 was released on September 21st. So it's out and available from me or or wherever you buy books. Now, I've had a chance to, I'm a, a little under halfway through, and uh, this is the, the first of your books that I've read, and I'm really enjoying that. And I hope you'll take this as a compliment, but it reminds me of like some early like Stephen King works, and that it's very regional, <laughs> and you've got this really great setup where you're bouncing back between these characters in a small town and their points of view. And I, I think it's just it's really interesting. And um, again, I mean, it as a total compliment, but I, I get a lot of like early King vibes from it. And it's just, uh, it's doing me right right now for, for October. Well, thank you very much. I, I actually do take that as a compliment because, uh, uh, Stephen King, of course, with, with anybody, you know, my age and younger, uh, uh, into, uh, reading horror, he was a huge influence and, and I prefer, typically i still read you know everything the man publishes but uh but i actually prefer the the older stuff that uh that uses the multiple points of view um style you know and and really goes into character um one of the things i've always loved about his work in particular is how character driven it it is and still is, um, but uh, but more so back then, especially with things like the stand and and it. Um, but yeah, uh, so I I don't I don't consciously try to emulate his work, but he is a huge influence on me, of course. Now, now speaking of the characters, like uh, that's what really kind of hooked me, I think, and it, you have. Uh, shall I say a very unconventional um, version of, of hell and sort of the prologue um, that oh, boy it blew me away I was like wow um, but then like once you settle into uh, sort of the rhythm of, of the uh, what's going on in the town and um, what each of these characters is sort of privately going through I, I thought it just it really adds to the terror um, and and sort of the anxiety I have because I've I've gotten a chance to know them a little bit and um, mm -hmm. where all their um, individual circumstances and suffering uh, has kind of brought them into um, you know uh, this nexus <laughs> um, brought on by uh, a storm. So um, I you know tip of the hat. It's just like uh, you hooked me um, from from page one and and like I I can't wait to uh, um, continue reading it. I appreciate that. Yeah, that the first chapter you mentioned there um, has has actually become a bit of a gatekeeper um, on that, on that novel. Um, there there are several people who have uh, read the first page even and been like, nope, not for me. You know, oh, wow. um, close the book and put it down, which is fine. I mean, you know that that is absolutely fine if you can. And if you can see that early, that something is, is, uh, not to your taste, absolutely put it down, but, uh, but yeah, it's the rest of the book is, is, um, quite different from that first chapter intentionally. Yes. So, um, but, uh, but you do need the first chapter. And if you, you haven't, if you haven't, uh, uh, connected the dots on that yet, you, you will, if you're, you're halfway through it, but, uh, yeah. So the book, uh, by the way, is is even though it starts in this kind of Hieronymus Bosch uh, um, hellscape, is actually about um, eight people in a small town called Lost Hollow, which is my sort of Castle Rock, um, because I I've written about Lost Hollow before. My previous novel oh. was set there, and and a few of my short stories have been as well. Um, but it's about eight people who who are trying to get away from a uh, horrific weather event or trying to shelter from a horrific weather event um, involving thunderstorms and flash flooding and they get trapped in their their local general store and they each have these secret shames they're dealing with on top of a demon who feeds on shame who is also sheltering in the store 
so um they have to to kind of come to terms with with themselves um in order to try to beat the demon so that's the uh that's the story in a nutshell beautifully put yeah um and boy i i like i said i gotta tell you i i can't wait to number one um finish it but i will uh share a little anecdote with you so sometimes when i'm relaxing at night i'll read in the tub and uh, my wife came in and she saw it on my face i won't say the exact um i don't want to spoil for anybody but um you'll know i so uh there's a scene involving a finishing nail that's all i'm gonna say um good enough and she saw it on my face she saw it on my face so uh there's a compliment for you like it my uh <laughs> my horror was laid bare my wife goes what is happening what's the matter and i was like i explained what was happening and um she was like okay <laughs> i can i can see uh, that that is awesome that is both awesome and something um that uh i i should apologize for no <laughs> please 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 don't it's uh <laughs> it was memorable in the in the way that some of the best you know scenes in any horror book i read uh, are certainly not leaving my head anytime soon so um <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i i encourage our listeners like um buy direct from from isaac uh if you can um isaac would give a, a website is it just your um isaac thorn like.com or what's your url yes isaac thorn.com and that is thorn with an e um so isaac thorn.com will get you straight to my site and uh um if you don't want to buy direct from me, that's okay. There are links to other places there as well. But uh, if you buy direct from me, you can get a signed edition along with some uh, uh, extra swag in, in the box I, I ship you. That's awesome. Yeah, I, uh, again, can't wait to finish it. I encourage all our listeners, like, check it out. It is, uh, it's been the perfect companion um, I always like to like get into the Halloween spirit by, um, you know, picking a, a horror book and uh, reading out outdoors once it starts to cool off. And uh, this has been just a, a pleasure uh, to read uh, for 2022. So um, thank you for uh, obviously appearing on the podcast and thank you for uh, for the good spooky times. Uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm very glad you're enjoying it. And, uh, and thank you for, for having me on here. I appreciate it. Oh, anytime. You're welcome back anytime. Uh, we don't normally just stick to horror on the podcast. We uh, actually have a um, selection of films and topics that we've sort of gamified. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to check out any of the YouTube videos, but we draw a random card on our virtual game board and that dictates the next week's episode uh for what movie and what topic we're going to be talking about so you're welcome anytime if you'd like to come back for a little bit of chaos and film chat awesome thank you very much all right and uh, as for the rest of you listeners you can engage with us on social media at screen quest pod on twitter we'll be posting our next poll uh very shortly our next episode is going to be Slasher Sleepover, so more to come on that. As always, we encourage you to uh, get on there and vote uh, so you can decide uh, one of the two movies we'll be talking about. Uh, as always, we thank you for listening. Uh, please give us a like, share, and subscribe. You know, Telling a, a friend is always very helpful. We, we, we grow by word of mouth mostly. And until next time, we love you. Bye. Bye, guys.